Hello everyone and good afternoon from the Rowdy Buddhist. I hope you're all doing well. Today I wanted to go into, again, more detail into these aspects that we in our practice perhaps may have overlooked and may continue to overlook uh, and to focus on the type of mindset that we need in order to deepen our study and practice as Nichiren and Shonen so uh, directs us to do. One of the most common things is that when people read spiritual texts, especially translations, um, and I'm using that for the Roman words, uh, they tend to simply see, most people now translate out titles uh, or certain words instead of using the original word, the, either the Sanskrit or the Pali word, they translate them out. And when we read that, we may automatically, again, according to our context, simply think, okay, this is a title, and simply overlook it. Because today the word that we're going to look at, you probably have seen and said many, many times, but you actually know what it means and how important it is. And again, when we read and study Buddhism, we need to realize that nothing is extraneous. Everything is there. Because again, as the Buddha says in chapter 16, his only great purpose is to direct us and lead us to enlightenment as quickly and, and efficiently as possible. And so therefore, nothing is extraneous. But as we read through translations of sutras, etc., we, we don't pay attention to each character, each meaning. We simply just accept it as a uh, general or secular meaning. Uh, I believe a majority of people don't go deep enough because as it's stated, when we chant the sutra, we should chant the sutra with our correct mind, correct concentration, correct uh, faith, because each character is therein contained the Buddha's wisdom and compassion and that is transmittable to us when we practice with the correct state of mind and the correct faith but most people again overlook what is not so obvious but we as Buddhists need to train our mind that we need to pay attention this is the concept of correct mindfulness mindfulness that helps understand and correct our right view, which is, of course, the first of the eight paramita, I mean, the eightfold path. And so one of those words, which you have probably seen many, many times, is tathagata or tathagata. And this word, you may simply say, oh, sensei, I know what that means. It simply means the title of the Buddha, the one thus come. Thus come one, many different ways that people have translated it. But actually, in this supposed title or epitaph, that we are missing the main teaching and wisdom that is, con that is contained within the characters, that we, again, simply practice and study Buddhism based on our own understanding which is, of course, one of the biggest stumbling blocks of all, because 
a lot of people who study Buddhism are using it merely for a uh, moralistic system or a way to understand or explain their secular humanist beliefs, remo removing the spiritual element, the um, element of attainment from the tradition, and just simply seeing Buddhism as a humanistic uh, explanation of, of reality, but removing the uh, attainment aspect of it. And so that's why this word, uh, we need to look very deeply into the meaning. And this is, again, the kind of mindset we should develop, that we just don't simply skim over something that we inculcate deeply. We investigate with wisdom deeply. We understand through faith deeply each of the aspects of the Buddha. So that's why you can even just take the title of Namu Myoho Renge Kyo, right? Myoho Renge Kyo, the title of the Lotus Sutra, and simply study that for an incalculable, incalculable long time, that you wouldn't be even able to go as deep as you can try, but you can keep trying to understand that. That's why we hold the title as the Odaimoku, the great title. But simply people think, oh, this is just a magic phrase, or this is just something uh, that I must repeat. But actually, we need to understand constantly hewing a deeper level, a deeper color of our practice. So with the purpose and meaning of Tathagata, I have an interesting story that when I was a monk, I would read all these different names and depend on which kind of sutras that you would read, whether they were Mahayana or Theravadan or other esoteric teachings. They would, they each seem to have had their own titles for the enlightened Buddha. And I remember going to my Sifu and asking him, and he said, well, actually, at one time there were 10,000, that means infinite amount of titles that people would praise, or as you would say, the epitaph, which is a phrase or form of words written in the memory of a person who has died, or an inscription. But in the East, it's actually used as a explanation of something that is inex inexplainable unexplainable so therefore they would use these titles that if someone understood just as we see with Chinese characters someone was able to understand the nature of the being rather than something that could be simply explained and he said then there were 10,000 then there was 1,000 then there was I think uh, 300 and then it went down to I think 7 was the number that he gave me seven typical common uh, titles or uh, explanations of the Buddha's attainment. And one of them is Tathagata or Tathagata. Um, that is very interesting because, again, at that point, I just simply say, oh, these are just like uh, Mr. or Sir or Reverend. Uh, these are just simple titles, and of course, I overlook them. But actually, in my study and practice, these concepts or these names were the hidden gems, the hidden jewels of lots of information. And not just information of the mind, but information of our practice that we could look 
into, and this is the purpose of scripture and the purpose of teachings, is that we can look into the nature that we can correct our wrong views. But again, lots of people don't use the teachings or understand what they mean doctrinally. They discard them or they simply view them from their own modern uh, humanistic concept or uh, that which is uh, the idea of devoid of religion or whatever that their issue is. They, uh, Buddhism tends to lend itself to people because of the way that Buddhism has been taught since it's uh, coming to the West and that we've had to go through many uh, stages of understanding depth where you go from a basic simplic simplicity of explanation which actually continue I think to this day unfortunately but I think we are making some progress but for the most part the majority of Buddhist practitioners simply simply uh, look at these terms on the idea of misunderstanding so this is a type of ignorance that the Buddha wishes us to remove so also there is a misunderstanding that this word Tathagata or Tathagata is only used for the Buddha but you may be surprised to understand so in Murano's version Senshu Murano Sensei's version uh, I wanted to share a few different uh, definitions that they have of the word Tathagata. Okay, so the first that we're going to do is from the uh, Sensu Murano version uh, within its uh, glossary. It states that, again, the importance that you will have to understand is that the Japanese word for Tathagata is, or Tathagata is, Nyorai. Um, this is the version that we actually will you'll hear in the sutra Nyorai and in this particular glossary it states that it is defined as one who has come in this way is what the uh, meaning of Tathagata is and then there is a Buddhist dictionary that uh, we use the name Nyorai or Tathagata as one of the uh, epithets of the Buddha and it's important that there is a word called Jugo which means the ten epithets of the Buddha so there are usually ten that were most common to be used and it is defined as one who has gone thus one who has followed the path so that is a kind of as we can see it's not so easy as the common misunderstanding of the thus come one or the thus gone one but in Mahayana this epithet is taken to mean one who has arrived from and gone now there's a lot in that meaning so we'll go ahead and unpack it because actually if you read it uh, the translations that you see that's why I'm actually much more favorable towards people using the original terms and us inculcating it or bringing it uh, uh, into our own cultures um, because a lot of times the words such as even as we've stated compassion uh, the word jihi is made actually of two words it's a compound word the same as tathagata and without understanding perhaps even the Chinese characters you may misunderstand if you look up uh, uh, the compassion in the dictionary the English dictionary the Greek meaning being um, 
to uh, empathize, but actually that is only one half of the of the two words. So the same is, of course, with tathagata, um, and these are the two standard ways in which they actually break it up. The first is tathagata, and people break it down as the thus gone. And thus is an interesting word. Why do they use thus instead of he gone or it gone or um, thus? Thus is means something is gone, something spiritual, something beyond words. And then the other one is tata agata, which means thus come. As you can see, the dictionary that we had just read, it specifically says in the Mahayana that this is taken to mean one who has arrived from and gone to. That's an interesting definition uh, because this is going to work into my explanation at the end. But this idea, and, and again, we need to have interpretation. Um, and a lot of times between the different scholars and the different translators, it doesn't seem to really share the information that is necessary for us to truly benefit from this teaching. So, as explained in some uh, simple explanations, some people have used it at the idea that when they talk about the concept of gone in the second half of that definition of one who has arrived from and gone to, the idea of gone or truly gone in this idea of uh, nirvana means that they use the example of a bird and a long time ago on ships, they would um, they couldn't see land so they would use in ancient archaic times a bird that if a bird saw land it would fly towards the land and the ship would follow it uh, and this of course was shared in an explanation of the meaning but of the meaning of thus gone and that what it simply meant is that this bird as it was gone right as it disappeared, that this was something, as we know in early Buddhism, the concept of Mara, or the one that traces and catches and confines and uh, to ignorance, to suffering, that we are unable to be traceable, untraceable by Mara. So therefore, the one that is gone is no longer able to be traced or captured by Mara. Mara meaning the idea of ignorance, symbolic of ignorance or trickery, or that of the type of um, uh, nature of our mind, nature of our greed, hatred, and ignorance, the three aspects of uh, three poisons. So in this interpretations, it, it's, it's a little of both, but it, it's simply beyond, simply gone. You see, again, that was just one half of it. Why is the Buddha gone? What is this? It's beyond description, beyond words. And th this concept, again, another issue that most modern Buddhists fall into is that they think Buddhism was made in a vacuum. So they don't understand the historical aspects. Could the word Tathagata simply be just for the Buddha that was created by his disciples? Or was it something that predated the Buddha and been used? Most people don't know this. That's why uh, in my study of practice and learning, uh, there's a lot of context that is missing for one to understand Buddhism properly, to teach Buddhism. doesn't mean to, to practice it. You don't need that to practice it. But to be a teacher of Buddhism, the context is extremely important. 
because you can fall into the delusion that Buddhism was created uh, in a vacuum. And it was not, because the other aspects of things that may have been lost or diluted or diluted in Buddhism, we can, of course, find context within uh, some of the ancient traditions, such as Vedism. Uh, so, Tathagata is referred is a reference to any, or Tathagata, reference to any enlightened being, and predates Buddhism. Actually, people think that perhaps uh, this is something even that is used in, uh, that there is a connection with a word in Jainism, or as they say, Jainism, uh, that is Tathagaya. Tahagaya, which is master, but the one who has mastered uh, this state, this um, accomplishment. And again, we, we should be careful that we don't just simply simplify or simplistically understand based on our own modern terms of what we believe Buddhism is. Because again, Buddhism is about uh, shattering our ignorance. So your beliefs that you hold now may, as you think when you were young, the beliefs that you had or the beliefs that people had 300 years ago, now we're able to see in science uh, that they are ignorant. But yet, uh, people hold on to their beliefs as if they're reality. So one of the problems in modern Buddhism, and this, there's actually some great videos about people uh, bringing this up, is that, of course, as I've stated in the beginning of this, that modern Buddhism has simply... Um, made Buddhism, castrated Buddhism into being a basically humanistic, moralistic uh, concept. So therefore, this would simply be a title. Um, we need to be careful of that modern mindset because we are, of course, in a on a path of spiritual realization. Thus, come on, gone one, Simply, the simplistic translation that you see is missing any of the spiritual or metaphysical elements. And as you see, that would, of course, stunt your ability to understand what is the meaning of Buddha nature. What, what are we trying to attain? And it's fascinating because, again, uh, this is issue, this is the issue of the limitations I think and I believe of secular Buddhism. So tat or tata, which is actually a great explanation. Somebody said tata is like the first words of the baby, like dada or mama. Tata is like the the base for, uh, as they would say in Vedism, Brahma or God. And it's very fascinating because we can see this in the Upanishads, these references to this, these words that are being used actually in these ancient Vedic texts. And as we've learned before, I've talked about the eight limbs of yoga. The idea of what we, our goal in Buddhism, much of the process is similar to these ancient teachings, but yet the goal is a little bit different. But how do we understand it as such? Because actually, the goal for a yogic or a Vedic practitioner is to become one with Brahman. Uh, and actually, in many ways, people interpret the idea of one becoming Brahma, uh, one with Brahma as the same as Buddhism. But actually, uh, Buddhism uses the term Buddha nature, that we become understand to see our true Buddha nature. 
which actually has used the word Brahma Buddha as well. That actually, these seem very interchangeable. But there's actually an important subtlety. But if you were to, again, Buddha nature, which is taught in the very defined, def, defined very much in the Nirvana Sutra, again, people define that we don't have any soul, any spiritual self. They deny any of these spiritual elements in these secular practices. But actually, in order to have the correct bodhicitta, correct aspiration, correct direction, uh, correct uh, uh, direction and uh, understanding, correct path, one has to understand and believe or have faith in the idea of Buddha nature. And if we remove this, then simply Buddhism is not a practice of the uh, attainment or realization. It's simply a moralistic uh, belief system that we use to explain our system. So, agata is also used in the idea of the past tense, which means the arrival to absolute awakening, absolute understanding of nature, which again, uh, the Buddha defined as Buddha nature and the Vedists as Brahma. And that when we understand this, how did the Buddha attain this absolute? That was thin, since and through wisdom and samadhi that he was able to arrive at his awakening. So therefore, as we hear this word, tathagata or tathagata, we simply mustn't overlook it as we scan through the teachings, as we kind of mindlessly uh, and hopefully train and practice reciting the sutra, we need to focus ourselves. And this is why we have the admonition of Nichiren Shonin about learning and practicing. That through learning and practicing, we are able to understand uh, Buddhism. And the word Shohojisosho, this is the conclusion of Nichiren Shonin's enlightenment. That Shoho is the universal law. Jiso is a true figure, true purpose. Jiso, to see it as it is. This is the true outcome. The conclusion of enlightenment as it is. The state of mind. That is when we arrive to see our true nature. But again, I admonish you to be careful to simplistically look at Buddhism and remove the spiritual uh, metaphysical elements of it. Because with doing that, uh, you will not be able to unfortunately uh, arrive to the teaching or inculcate and uh, understand the teaching through your practice to have the correct direction. Because all of these are roadmaps. Because the path to Buddhism is not understandable with the regular mind. It is something that we are constantly navigating towards through the sutras, through our practice. That is, as Nichiren Shonin said, through study and practice. So I hope that this has uh, inspired you. I hope you've been able to receive a little more insight as to how uh, one should use learning and practicing in Buddhism and that we can actually become more involved in our uh, deepening of our practice and study without simply uh, living our life uh, passively and simply uh, demeaning 
the path of the Buddha to something in the simplistic nature of our own hopes and uh, ignorance. Uh, we, we look towards the Buddha for his enlightenment and uh, wisdom and compassion. So therefore, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Namu myoho renge kyo.